And we're happy once again to bring back House Majority Leader Alec Garnett, this time to tell us all about what the state legislature is not doing, um, which is unique for this week. What's going on? Jason, what's up? Everybody, what's up? I've missed you guys. You know, we've been in self-isolation and I've missed being on the podcast. I saw that you guys had Congressman Promoter on. That's impressive, way above my pay grade, but I enjoyed tuning in and listening uh, to Congressman Perlmutter. That used to literally be your pay grade, though. You worked for Congressman Perlmutter. I did work for Congressman Perlmutter. He was, you know, a good boss. He wasn't my first boss because I was a bus boy at a Chinese restaurant growing up. But uh, he was a great boss and he's been a great congressman. And so now it's fun to kind of talk to him on a principle to principle level. I know. Big, big wheel at the cheese factory. Since we've got you for a little bit here, and I know at the moment, you don't have to go back to the Capitol, but we do know you're busy. You're doing online town halls. You're doing outreach. You're trying to help people access services. I mean, wife of the show, Senator Brittany Pedersen, having a lot of constituent input right now. But we have some like technical questions just because we're in completely uncharted territory here. And we were wondering, since you're kind of at the center of it all, we're grateful to have you as usual. Um, but you had to go to work to make it clear that you weren't going to go to work for a little while. Yeah. So when, you know, I keep joking around with people and I think the evidence is this podcast that I was like the first one in the building to be extra freaked out by COVID-19. And I keep telling people the bandwagon is getting real crowded and I should have started charging admission uh, weeks ago because I'd be a rich man for the number of people who now are taking COVID-19 seriously. You could have taken payment in... Toilet paper, hand sanitizer, face masks. Yep, uh, as long as it was an N95. So I th what happened was when we started talking about going into recess, and, and you have to kind of rewind to that week in March, um, we went into recess on Saturday the 13th, I think. It was Wednesday of that week where I started getting super concerned about the pace at which the number of cases were going up in Colorado. I was watching New York. And so I had a conference call with uh, the speaker and the minority leader at 1015 on Wednesday night. And I essentially said, we need to start preparing like we're going to go into recess over the next three days because it essentially takes three days for the Capitol to land safely. And we had to get that um, assemblies bill that the parties needed to have flexibility to adjust their rules in an even year uh, get through. And so we needed to sort of start the process of landing the Capitol into recess three days in advance. And I was like, you know, if we decide we don't want to go into recess because the risk isn't there on Friday, we can decide not to, but let's at least start it. And we had a similar call with Leroy and with Steve that same night. It was, I think that call went till about 1145. Leroy Garcia, president of the Senate, Steve Fenberg, majority leader in the Senate. Yep. Yep. And so by that Saturday, we were ready to go into recess. Obviously, the risk was much higher by that point. And, you know, looking back on it, we had a member of our caucus diagnosed at the time with COVID-19. So it was the right decision. But while we were going into recess, we had to decide on when the legislature was going to come back. We set a date certain for uh, March 30th to go back, uh, to come back and evaluate where, we're, where we were at. And that was this upcoming Monday. And so there was a long discussion over the weekend about how to extend the recess. 
And a couple of the caucuses um, on the Dem side, the Senate caucus and the House caucus had a different set of opinions on how best to move forward. I think what we ended up doing was, you know, because it's uncharted territory, there's a bunch of legal risk that if you go into recess in the wrong way, or if you adjourn the wrong way, then you could be adjourned sine die, or you could lose all those days, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. The sine die is typically what's referred to as the last day of session, but in Latin, it literally means without a date certain, right? Yes, yes. And so... uh, so you had to come in to the the building then this week, right? Yep. So on Monday we came in, a couple of the staff members, I was the only Democrat other than Representative Mike Weissman, and then a bunch of Republicans came in. I think um, six Republicans came in because they, I don't think, trusted that I was going to just take <laughs> us into adjournment. We're going to go in there and pass Medicare for all and then like, <laughs> shut the place down. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, an assault weapons ban or something. <laughs> Um, so, you know, put us in a German for a few days. The Senate did it a little bit differently than we did. Tomorrow is the end of those three days. I think we're going to essentially not come in and just be presumed to be adjourned day to day. It's totally fine legally. It's probably the safest thing to do in terms of protecting staff and other members. And so then we'll just wait and see about what the future plans are. But there is a legal challenge to sort of the process and procedure that you all have, have put this through, right? I mean, you're under the assumption that you're the legislature. There's an emergency declaration by the governor that has been recognized by the president of the United States, by the federal government. These are extraordinary times. You have what we call plenary power, which is that the it is assumed that what you do is constitutional because you are the legislature and the courts have a fairly high bar to prove otherwise, Right. But you are facing a legal challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's based on and, and where you think it is and, and where you're, you think it's likely to end up? You're referring to the interrogatory? I am. Can you define that term for our listeners first? Dude, do you like do these things that catch me in these like weird traps? No, I don't know. In- interrogatory I'm, I'm asking, sounds like a, it's like a bad horror movie. I'm asking as a citizen and a voter, I do not it's, know. it's a process that the legislature uses when there's a constitutional question at hand that we don't know the answer to. And so while we were getting ready to go into recess, there was a big question that came up. For the 14 days that, or 17 days that we were going to be in recess, do those days count against our 120-day calendar? And in the Constitution, it says the 120-day um, uh 120 calendar days. It doesn't say 120 continuous calendar days. So as long as there are days that are on the calendar, even if they don't occur right in front or behind each other, it should pass constitutional muster, right? right? Yeah. And there's also a joint rule between the House and Senate that was adopted in 2009 by an interim committee that was a pandemic interim committee, because at that time they were worried about the N1H1 possible pandemic. And so they passed a rule, joint rule 44, which gives additional flexibility to the legislature when faced with a health pandemic, similar to exactly this, that it gives the power to the executive committee to determine the calendar when we adjourn, uh, when we come back, and essentially assumes that the hundred that the days don't count that we go into recess to protect the health and safety of the state of Colorado. And so, go ahead. So then what's the legal basis for this challenge? If you've got the Constitution not using the word consecutive, if you have precedent 
from an exit from a previous pandemic where the executive committee created a rule that both chambers operate on where are the republicans getting this argument from and so yeah so then we sent a we thought the safest and you know most bipartisan way of going about it was sending an interrogatory to the supreme court to answer this question for us we sent um essentially a brief on behalf of the legislature not surprisingly, the Republicans decided to send a counter brief on the other side that argued that the days should be counted against our 120 um, calendar against our 120 day clock, and that's based on when the ballot measures were passed in the 1980s, establishing the 120 day session. Because remember, it used to be 140 days until before 1988, and so there were two measures that passed. Uh, by the people. And in the blue book, they used continuous. I actually haven't read the Republican brief, um, but they use the word continuous. So, so they're they, arguing voter intent from the 80s? Yes. Okay. And, and they don't want to come back because they're in the minority in both chambers. And they just feel like if we just punt on this whole session, that's better for us, right? The COVID-19 works a lot more in terms of shutting down our agenda than reading bills at length. <laughs> so this is just their latest <laughs> obstruction tactic, global pandemic. You know, I mean, listen, I think there's some people, you know, Bob Garner has a legal mind. I think I think he truly believes it should be counted. Um, continue, you know, the days should be continuous and these should be counted against our 120. You know, it's veiled in there. You know, we have to follow the Constitution. That's our guiding document, you know, it is what it is. And I think we'll hear from the Supreme Court. I think no matter what we are facing, you know, I think when we when we sent in the interrogatory, there was really this thought that we could spend the the whole calendar, you know, if we were just able to start up again and the court was to rule in our favor, we'd be able to just start up again and start moving forward. I don't think that's the case. I don't think there's any way we can come back into the Capitol and just pick up where we left off, regardless of what the Supreme Court says, just because this pandemic, I think, is going to go longer than people assume it's going to be. I think that the budget is, um, you know, the new projections that I'm hearing from JBC staff and other economists um, are pretty dire yeah. in terms of the impact. So would you, would you start a new session when you came back? Well, OK, so let's just pretend that the Supreme Court rules in our favor that the days do not count. So then whenever it's safe to go back, we would go back and we would pick up um, on day 64, whatever day we ended okay. up leaving. I shouldn't have gone right. ahead. So you've like frozen the session in amber. It's just yeah. like it's held in cryogenic stasis. It's better. I think it's better, especially in this time where we're all telecommuting. It, we paused. We pressed pause <laughs> on the session. And if this, and the Supreme Court rules in our favor and it's safe to go back, then you press play and you get to just pick up where we left off. If the Supreme Court rules against us, I can't really imagine a situation where the um, pan this, the public safety concerns have been lifted before we get to May 6th, which is supposed to be the last day of session. And if that's the case, then most likely we adjourn CMA DA at some point without actually going back. But we still have some must-pass bills that have to get through, right? The budget, the school finance act a bunch of stuff related to the pandemic, right? We've got to look through all the executive orders that the governor's been doing. What do we have to codify and, and allow to move forward? The legislative budget has to get through. And so there's two ways to call a special session. Either two thirds of each chamber can call their own special session 
or the governor can call a special session. In both of those instances, we would have to establish a call, essentially what bills we were ending, what we were going to do in the special session. And those bills would have to start all over uh, from the beginning. And everybody's got to come back at some to, to do this then, right? Everybody has to vote on the budget. The budget, the School Finance, Finance Act, the, the legislative budget all have to be passed by June 30th. We've been working with school districts. School districts also have to present their budgets to their school boards by June 1st because they have to finalize budgets in the 178 school districts by June 30th. Do we know what happens if, for COVID reasons, for whatever reason, you're unable to go back into the Capitol before the last year's budget expires? No. So that has not been crossed. What we are exploring a lot is remote participation. So the Constitution, obviously, never imagining we were going to get to 2020, where we're all Zooming and people are doing Zoom happy hours and Zoom first dates and whatever's happening right now in the middle of this COVID-19. The Constitution doesn't prohibit us from having a remote participation in the legislative process. There are a few rules that do prohibit us from sort of fully exercising it, but there are ways that we could kind of build in a remote participation process. So we're exploring all of that now. It's more, it's way more complicated than I ever thought it would be. I mean, imagine running the floor for a bill that's not, you know, kind of a slam dunk. There's all these procedural motions that, you know, people would have, and it would be really hard, I think, to to do it in a way that was fair. Just imagine a Zoom call with 65 people in general about anything. Let alone 65, right. <laughs> like, microphone-hungry partisan legislators. Right. <laughs> microphone-hungry is a really good way of putting it. I mean, good the desire for relevance is pretty amazing. Um, so Yeah, I heard there were Republicans that kind of traveled a, a great deal of distance to get down to the Capitol um, in an attempt to have some attention paid to what they wanted to say. Yep. yep I, there's a, you can speculate on why that happened. Um, but... Uh, so that's kind of what we're facing. It's a really uncertain future. The Supreme Court will give us some guidance. I think a couple of weeks ago, I thought it was going to be like the make or break question. At this point, I think it's um, it's less make or break because I think we're in a scenario where everything's going to be limited based primarily on the impact on the, on the budget for uh, 2020, 2021. Is it possible? Can you call multiple special sessions? Could two-thirds of the legislature call one and the governor calls one also and you just keep having but i mean could you do that yeah so that's another thing people have talked about we could we could come in and do a special session on the three must-pass bills before june 30th and essentially get try to get agreement from most people about what it was going to be to kind of streamline the process once we were in the building we could explore remote participation and have you know, the committees that were going to hear the bills meet remotely because the committee works a little bit more manageable when you think through the remote participation and then have people come in, utilize the full chamber, the gallery, um, you know, all the space on the floor to create social distance in the, in the safest way possible and, and get those bills through. Then the elect, you know, we're in 2020, so there's an election. We could also have a special session after the election with the current legis- makeup of the legislature to address any of the outstanding issues that we need to um, help uh, related to the pandemic and help Coloradans get back on their feet 
any other things we need to do um, at that point. So you, you, there is a scenario where you could have multiple special sessions to help um, Colorado, you know, really get the the economy up and going again. It's just really uncharted territory. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We're in completely uncharted territory here. We've never seen anything like this. We've we've had what we thought were emergencies down at the Capitol before, where we're there until a midnight and you have to start over again the next day, and it's a long night and you're trying to race to the end of the 120 day clock to get all your bills passed or, but like, this is just wild. I mean, did we, what did we do during the Spanish flu? Have we looked at what happened in 1918? That's interesting. Um, not that I can remember. I don't know how much. It's hard to find any information about anything that goes that far back. Like I've tried to do that for research purposes in other ways, but I don't, it's an interesting question. You know, did they, how did they, did they just call it off? Like we've been through something akin to this before, not of this scale magnitude. And, and like you said, certainly without the tools that we have now to be able to communicate with each other, but you have to imagine there were 50 States making these sorts of, de- or were there 50 States? Yet? I, don't <laughs> I don't even know. Some know what that number of States making these decisions back then. Yeah. Good point. Good God. Um, hey, so you and, and minority leader, Patrick Neville, who's like not my friend, but he is your friend. Um, along with some other folks organized like a personal protective equipment drive over at mile high stadium. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about what happened and and whether you thought it was successful? Yeah. So obviously we started hearing from, you know, the, the, the people on the front lines, our nurses, our, um, first responders, our doctors about the shortage in PPE. We started reaching out to the governor's office they kept running into problems on the national level in terms of getting their supply from the national stockpile, which is, as you, I kind of think of it as like a big warehouse with big, just like mounds of gear. It's like the national treasure room at the end of the movie, but instead of gold in the Ark of the Covenant, it's, it's just N95 masks and ventilators. That's right. And like gowns and gloves. God, I hope so. And people, but people like, had this stuff on their own and they brought it right well yeah so on thursday i get a call from colorado concern who's a sort of a business organization and they're very close to project cure and project cure is a nonprofit that ships former project cure junior board member ian silveri oh get out that's so cool i have a ton of love that love that org yeah yeah uh um uh, a ton of respect for project cure i followed their work for a really long time um, one of the kids I went to high school with, Darren Ablovi, worked for them. And, uh, and they essentially ship medical supplies to Africa um, to underserved communities. And so they were very well cr- equipped to handle you know, medical supplies, sort them, and help, and help get them into the distribution line. So they wanted to do something. Um, Colorado Concern wanted to do something. They reached out to us. Our first conference call was actually on Friday, March 20th at 1 p.m., where we got the Broncos. Uh, I don't think Patrick was actually on that call, but we got CDPHE. We got Colorado. Cons- That's the state health department. Yep. And project here on a conference call to talk through, you know, there's this huge desire to help put together a personal protective equipment drive where we're essentially asking Coloradans to donate whatever they may have. And how are we going to do this? This is a great idea. We have all the right players there. How is it going to work? And the Broncos offered their parking lot and Katie on my staff was super helpful. uh, And we did a lot on the front end of building this out. And so we decided we're going to do it on Sunday. 
We're going to do it from 12 to 4. We're going to use the Broncos parking lot. So two days later, you had you had two days to pull yep, it two off. Two days to pull it off. And we worked with the governor's office to make sure that what we were asking for was exactly what they were distributing to hospitals and healthcare providers around the state. We had we got CDPHE, the, the um, health department, to agree to train our volunteers to make sure that we were conducting it in a safe manner. And we didn't have any volunteers. And so Katie had the great idea in my office to call the CU Medical School and get in touch with their medical students who have been sort of chomping at the bit to be helpful, but they haven't really been deployed yet. And she got 24 uh, medical students to commit to coming and volunteering. And so in two short days, we put together this huge drive. We were able, especially because like the Broncos were involved, we were able to go through social media the in a bipartisan way. A lot of people promoted it. The news media promoted it. We got a couple articles in print media. and um, But there was a lot of uncertainty on Sunday morning about are people going to show up? Did people get the message? And what was amazing is uh, people were already lined up. Cars were already lined up by 1145 before the drive even opened. Thousands of cars came through. Some people just came through with a box of gloves. Some people came through with a trunk load of PPE, um, businesses like dental offices and acupuncturists, folks who have been shut down because of the, they're not essential services, but they're in the medical field, have a ton of this equipment and they showed up and they donated, donated it. And we collected four truck loads. Oh my God. Worth of gear, which was amazing. Just think about that. Like that's four truckloads of gear that wouldn't make its way into the medical pipeline otherwise, right? Yeah, it was so cool. I mean, it was one of the, um, you know, Colorans had big hearts and Colorans wanted to help. And it was just, uh, you know, there's been a lot of dark days and dark moments throughout this crisis, but it was, uh, it was a bright spot and it really showed, I kind of, I think the spirit of uh, the people in this state. And we were able to get all that gear into the, uh, pipeline into the distribution line and out to hospitals and healthcare providers around the state. Were, were you surprised at the overall amount of of equipment that you received? I it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't have occurred to me that a lot of people would have this stuff. I mean, I don't I don't have any of it, uh, but uh, apparently a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean the the four truckloads were came out to twenty four pallets full. Uh, in this huge warehouse that Project Cure has, it took up like the entire floor, which was amazing as they sorted it. Um, just to give you a perspective, Jason, on what we thought was going to happen, we only had two trucks at in uh, at the Broncos Stadium in the parking lot. And then about halfway through the day, we realized we were going to need more trucks. And so people went to Project Cure and brought in uh, additional trucks. So how big are the trucks we're talking about? Are these semi-trucks? Are these pickup trucks? Let's like, can you provide a sense of scale for everyone listening at home? Yeah, the trucks were like, um, uh, they weren't semi trucks, but they were like, you know, you know, the one guy mover trucks that like a a big rider, like a big U-Haul, a big U-Haul. That's remarkable. So, so success on the front end was like two trucks full. That would have been great. And you ended up sort of doubling. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, success was like people like volunteers not getting bored and going home because people weren't showing up. Uh, success was, you know, making sure uh, we were just like collecting stuff throughout the day and anything we could collect, we knew 
was going to be used and was going to be helpful. So there was like this little bit of like, whatever happens, happens. It's going to be the right thing to do. Uh, but once the first truck, I mean, we essentially filled a truck an hour. So within the first hour, the first truckload was full and was going back to the warehouse. Um, and uh, uh, it was pretty amazing. That's remarkable. Well done. Well done. Now, before we get back into, before you have to go back into the legislature, if that happens, how are you staying in shape to return in top form? Like gavel curls at home? Are you bench pressing stacks of bills? How do you speed reading? How, how do you stay sharp? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, like Mike Weissman is, is like the Rocky of uh, the Democratic caucus, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, we, you got to look to him to understand like what it really takes to stay in tip top form. I mean, the emails he sends me are long. He's obviously been reading everything. He can memorize statutes. Um, so, you know, I, I try to stay up, uh, I try to stay up to, you know, his level a little bit, but just, I'm just glad he's on, on my team. So, you know, <laughs> you're kidding. You're going to need like gallons of yerba mate and a fully vegan diet. If you want to like catch yeah. Weissman, uh, God bless <laughs> Weissman. The man's a machine always has been before we let you go. Uh, everybody's looking for forms of entertainment right now. Is there a good TV show, movie, book that you've been engrossed in that you would recommend people check out? Yeah, unrelated to anything, just something you ran across, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's no, it's no surprise to anyone that I bet on sports, and there's no sports to bet on. So, <laughs> no, um, and so that has been challenging. So I've done. I think there's three things that I like to do. I uh, I have watched Tiger King all the way through. Okay. Um, everyone knows about Tiger King. I am five episodes into Ozark season three. Um, I have been playing a little bit of, I found an app where you can play online poker and do zoom on the side with like your high school friends. So I'm staying in contact with some of my high school friends more than I have in a long time, which is great, especially more than I ever would be able to in session. And so we play poker every Friday night just for fun, which has uh, been been quite um, entertaining. And then, you know, I got two little kiddos under five. So today we went on, uh, we went and collected lava rocks and created a volcano. That was pretty cool. We have, um, uh, we are building a birdhouse. That is pretty entertaining. So, you know, it's like, if they're entertained, I'm entertained and I'm being entertained by entertaining them looking through and doing cool nature science experiments, um, to help homeschool. So. Well, it sounds like you're keeping busier than I am. I just sit in front of the TV. What if I could Jason? <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, Mr. Majority Leader, Alec Garnett. We're extremely grateful to have you as part of the podcast to be part of smart Alec as well. And uh, we hope you and your family stay safe and healthy through this whole thing. And we're planning on keeping doing the podcast because there's no reason why not. So hopefully we get another chance to talk to you next week. Yeah. Can't wait. Yep. We should definitely do it. Uh, glad we were able to do it today. Always a pleasure to be on with you guys. And thanks for everything you're doing and stay safe out there. House Majority Leader Alec Garnett. We'll be right back. It's funny. After we talked to Alec Garnett, a couple of hours after that, the Supreme Court ruling, of course, did come out because that's the way timing on these things works. The uh, court did rule that the legislature can come back into session and start where they left off. And the 120 day period does not end 
just because it's a consecutive 20 days. So what what uh, House Majority Leader Garnett was talking about is what the Supreme Court ended up deciding. So they will come back theoretically at some point, depending on how this pandemic unfolds. Mm-hmm.